Welcome to the Psych NP Cast, a podcast made specifically for psychiatric mental health nurse practitioners and their peers. You're about to enjoy, be educated, and entertained about your profession. Just remember, folks, the views you hear on this show are those of our amazing guests. Always validate what you do through your best practice guidelines and patient care standards. Now, let's get to the show. Let's get to the show indeed. Welcome back. I'm your host, Ed Stern, and this is another episode of Psych NPCast. I would like to thank everybody for being an active listener, for rating us, for constantly downloading us. You're making us a huge success, and our success on this show helps you and your peers. So thank you so much. Today's episode of Psych NPCast we interview Shelly Baird. Shelly's actually a classmate of mine. She's a longtime psychiatric nurse. She's finishing up her psychiatric NP. And she's going to give us a little bit of a, let's just say it's a different perspective. Her perspective is going to be that of a lived experience, the mother of a trans young woman. She's going to share the journey. She's going to share some insights that she had along the way, both as a mom and that lived experience, as well as a mental health professional. I think it's important for me to just point out that this is her experience, her vocabulary, her terminology. Shelly has a lot to share with us and a lot of information. So Shelly, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? I'm Shelly Baird, and I am a nurse practitioner student, and I've been a registered nurse since 1995. I've so a couple of years. A couple, you know, yeah, okay. 25, almost 26 years, <laughs> um, since I was 20 years old. So being a nurse is all I've really ever done. Okay. I started nursing school when I was 18, so in my adult life, that's all I've been as a nurse. But Nursing and breathing, okay. Nursing and breathing. Raise some kids in there, and yeah. but you know, mostly nursing, and that's nursing and breathing too. So. <laughs> <laughs> Different kind of nursing, absolutely. Yeah, I worked uh, most of my time. I spent in surgery, labor and delivery, diabetes education, and then psychiatric behavioral health. So the kind of those four areas. Journey. Yeah. Um, what I found, why I I went into psychiatric behavioral health is because every other aspect of nursing is affected by your mental health. Mm-hmm. Everyone's afraid. They don't want to talk, take care of psych patients, but I realized we're all psych patients. I don't know anyone who doesn't have some anxiety or depression. And that spills out over into your physical health into diabetes education. What I spent a lot of time doing was talking about with them about depression, about being diabetic. Labor and delivery. You're so anxious about having a new baby. I saw so many people with depression and anxiety and postpartum depression. And so I realized that if your mental health isn't good, your physical health will always suffer. So that led me into behavioral health nursing. Yeah. All right. Now I work with health hospital in rural Nevada, Missouri, um, They send them to Nevada, Missouri. I think it's the middle of nowhere and they can't elope. (laughs) If they try, they just end up coming back. And that's with adolescents. 
yeah, because the adolescents, they, um, their parents will send them or case manager, whomever, and they decide they're going to leave. And if they make it out, they usually just make it around town and then come back because they don't have money. They don't have a car. Uh, but we do have some elopers. <laughs> so it's a, it, it's almost a wilderness program, but not. <laughs> yeah, we don't do wilderness training, but we're kind of in the middle of the wilderness. So, um, we take care of children four years old on the acute units, four, four to 17. And then on the residential, we have a residential program that's 12 to 17. Sometimes they'll turn 18 in the program. Wow. Um, but we do acute and residential. So truly all pediatrics. All pediatrics. Truly, that's all we do there. So um, that, you know, I've always had a heart for kids and delivering babies, maternal, child nursing, pediatrics. So it seems to be fitting that I work there. Yeah. And what a great, what a great idea in your own head that, you know, our, our mental health is connected to all those different things. I think that's, yeah. that's a great entry for, you know, for you and your next step as a um, new psychiatric nurse practitioner. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So speaking of taking care of youth, um, mm -hmm. we invited you here today to spend some time talking about your experience specifically with your youth mm -hmm. and some of the um, life experiences that the two of you shared. Uh, can you kind of, give the audience a little bit of an idea as to what we're talking about? Sure. I have a 24 year old transgender daughter. Mm -hmm. She came home from college and was very distraught and didn't quite know what was going on, I think. So I told her, you need to, you can't just sit around the house you need to go to counseling, figure out what's wrong, go back to school or find a job. I gave her three choices. And good parenting. <laughs> yeah. My child said, okay, um, I think I'll go to counseling because I think that's what I need. And I said, all right, fair enough. Mm. We got We got to be moving forward. We can't just right. stay where we're at. And I'd noticed some pretty severe anxiety, not wanting to leave the house and things like that. So the counseling after a few months, my son came home and said, Hey, I think I want to be a woman. I was like, Oh, which was a big shock because mm. he'd been my most manly child. My other son, Scott, danced and sang in all the musicals, played the flute. So I, I you know, something to come out of Scott, I wouldn't have been as shocked as I did Cammie. Um, so that took a while to get my head around. But I said, okay, if this is what's holding you back, then let's fix it. Mm -hmm. if, if, this is, if this is what's caused you all this distress and all this anxiety, then I say, let's go. Let's fix it. She saw the counselor for a while. And then she came home one day and said, the counselor said, I'm ready for hormones. I said, okay, let me do some calling around because we were in rural Southeast Kansas and I have plenty of friends who are a nurse practitioner. I knew the endocrinologist really well because I did diabetes education and then I had my own thyroid disease. So I talked to everybody. Surprisingly, because we were in such a rural area, I didn't, I wasn't expecting much help. Every nurse practitioner, my endocrinologist, everybody I talked to were extremely supportive. 
And they said, gosh, Shelly, I'd love to help, but I don't know the protocol. And I don't want to mess with someone's hormones without knowing the protocol. I was a student at KU at the time, getting my bachelor's degree in nursing. And I had just been beside myself because everyone I talked to didn't really know how to help and didn't really know how, where to send us. Mm. So I opened up my email from school to do homework and there was bloop, a, a flyer for a transgender youth um, continuing education all day long class at KU. And oh, wow. so I emailed the person that sent, I thought it's one of those universe God, whoever you think is up there sent it to me that day because I was really feeling like I want to help my kid but I don't know how open up the email there it is so I emailed the person that sent it and told her my situation and she said oh my gosh I know who exactly to send you to and so she gave me the name and address of a a hormonal endocrinologist that has a transgender clinic in Kansas City one day a week Every Wednesday, they reserve it for transgender clinic. All you got to do is call. Um, he's going to need a note from the psychiatrist or counselor. And then um, we'll get the hormones started. I'm like, well, okay. I called, got an appointment, took my child there. Now, on the way there, I had a whole dichotomy of emotions. I grieved. I was fearful. Um, you know, all kinds of things, but we did it. We got there. They were so nice at that clinic. Um, then what they, they gave us all the printout because we had told them that nobody in our area knew what to do. They gave me the hormone protocol for boys and girls from male to female, female to male you know, the hormones, how often, what dosage and all this. And then they gave us an extra packet of information. So Cammie took that to her psychiatrist's office and said, here is what we found. The psychiatrist praised her for, you know, helping other kids, other young adults, because there they just didn't know what to do or where to send them. So now that we've kind of stepped out and found it, they have been sending people there. Mm-hmm. So um, I feel like Cammy kind of paved the way in that town for people to get help because yeah. nobody really knew what to do or how to do it. Everyone was willing and everyone was very supportive, but they were like, I just don't know what. And I don't want to mess up someone's hormones or do something mm-hmm. wrong, mm-hmm. make them sick. So um, she's been on hormones I'd say almost three years now. So that's kind of where, uh, that's why I'm here today to talk to you. (laughs) Sorry, that was probably a longer story than you wanted. No, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to pick on this, uh, you know, sort of pick this apart and talk about a couple of different things, but that's, yeah. uh, I mean, first, I think it's important to, you know, applaud you for, well, being comfortable talking about it, of course, but, you know, to be there, to be supportive of your daughter and, you know, and the journey that she went through, uh, that's, yeah. you know, I mean, obviously in our profession, we tend to hear more about uh, the situations where that's not the case. Yeah. Um, so let's see if we can kind of pick this apart a little bit. So first you talked about how uh, your daughter presented by, um, 
you know, I think the term you used was sort of the more manly of, of, of uh, your um, sibling, you know, of your kids. Yeah. More uh, masculine. Almost. Yeah. More masculine. Um, so of course that, I mean, that begs the question of, you know, we spend a lot of time in our profession um, as psychiatric professionals dealing with people who see and envision you know, the binary of, you know, the binary gender stereotypes, right. Mm -hmm. You know, the masculine, mm -hmm. the feminine, right. You know, um, uh, you know, the, the old, you know, what's the old adage, um, uh, um, puppy dog tails, sugar and spice and everything. Right. You know, oh, the, yeah. the, right. What are little girls made of? What are boys and Ex yeah. nails and puppy dog tails and <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, we see, you know, we see more and more of our patients these days that, um, you know, fall along, a, for lack of a better term, a gender spectrum, right? You know, more so mm -hmm. than you know than one or the other, um, and you know, our our youngest uh, patients already starting to, you know, to sort of question the binary and and mm -hmm. finding themselves sitting on the, on the middle using terms like gender fluid, gender non-binary and, you know, and other things, each of which has their own, you know, unique meanings, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, acknowledging that, that, that those norms are, were, are wrong. Yeah. Well, and we were, you and I are from an older generation where I don't know what boy was a boy, a girl was a girl and there was no question. Yeah. So it, it was harder for us to wrap our head around, but the kids just seem to accept it. The, even the little ones, they're like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And they mm -hmm. go on. They don't think another thing about it. They don't make a big deal out of it. Well, something's usually, right, if we think about childhood development, something's not wrong until you're told it is. Yeah. Right. Because these little four, six-year-olds, I, I mean, I'll have a patient that uh, this not long ago was a 10-year-old and it was a boy, but he liked long hair. And everyone kept calling him a girl. And so the little kids were like, what? Oh, 12 and under are on one unit. Well, why do you have such long hair if you're not a girl? You know, these four and six-year-olds are asking. And he goes, I just like long hair. It's okay to like long hair. Oh, all right. And they went on. It was not a big deal. He just explained, hey, I just like long hair. Right. Well, and everybody brings their bias in that they've learned, right? You know, we are, we are born with a bias. You yeah. know, it's, it's, a, it's a learned thing. Um, and we're in rural Missouri, so Bible Belt and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the fact that you got the kind of support that you did in, you know, in a part of the country that's not necessarily known for, mm -hmm. you know, for it is, I think, I mean, I think that's phenomenal. Um, so uh, your daughter was working with a counselor. You had said that you know they were working with a counselor, um, had had this acknowledgement of you know of their of, of their true identity mm -hmm. uh and um you know it sounds like the counselor helped and worked with them and was supportive what was that first conversation like for you with your daughter i was so shocked i didn't take it well ed i'm embarrassed mm -hmm. because ah from what i'd seen as a nurse with males who were transitioning to be female or dressed as female 
they in our area where I we lived, they were attacked. I knew a transgender female that was walking around town in her sundress and heels, and a pickup truck full of guys stopped and beat her up and threw her in the park. Yeah, I mean, like yeah. in a ditch in the park, and she almost died. So that's what I told Cammy about. I said, I am. I want you to know what you're getting into mm-hmm. because I'm scared for you for where we live because I've seen this. Right. I've seen that. Well, unfortunately, yeah, that's a situation that's 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 throughout you know, this country, if not the world. Yeah. No, I say if you're not sure, don't go down this road unless you're 100 percent sure, mm-hmm. because it's not going to it's not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. And I fear for you, which probably did not make her anxiety any better. But well, hindsight. Right. But I mean, you were speaking yeah. from you were speaking from the heart. You were speaking from your experience. And, you know, it sounds like at the end of the day, uh, you know, you embraced it and you helped her mm-hmm. and and, um, you know, continue to help and support her, uh, you know, which is which is great. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you'd commented about not knowing the protocol, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and that there were other people in the area that, you know, that didn't as well. Mm-hmm. Um what is it you've learned when you say protocol? What is it that you've learned that you would want to share with, you know, with our community, um, you know, about protocols in general related to this? Yeah, sure. What I learned is they want them to, you know, have a psychological or psychiatric evaluation, Uh talk with the counselor, make sure this is, you know, this, this is, I guess they're, they're real diagnosis and then they can, then they send them to the endocrinologist who puts them on whatever kind of hormones they need. If it's female to male, they have to have testosterone injections, male to female, they get to have estrogen pills. They also um, gave cami spironolactone, which is like a testosterone blocker. Um, they also offered and said, and, and this was something I didn't know, and I'm glad the endocrinologist brought up. Once we start a male on hormones, you will be infertile. It sterilizes you. So if you ever want to have children, we need to freeze some sperm right now before we start this. I didn't know anything about that. So that's something I think everyone should know. Mm-hmm. And Cammy said, no, thanks. Um we both have celiac disease and then I've had Graves disease and I've had these autoimmune things with my health that Cammy seems to inherit from me. My other child didn't get them, but Cammy did. So um, she said, you know what? I'd rather not keep passing these along. So yeah. I, I, I don't blame Personal her. Choice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's an expense too. And, you know, yeah. not everybody has, has the resources. Um, you know, there are organizations out there now that, um, you know, they do it all essentially mail order, um, which is, you know, mm-hmm. kind of impressive, you know, therefore their prices are less. Um, yeah. Although these days the United States Postal Service might not be the best, <laughs> the best currying <laughs> option, but um, yeah. Well, 20 years later to get it, they'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. The package never arrived. Never still got it, tra- never arrived. Package is still in transit. Um Yes. Yeah. In your travels, did you ever learn anything about um, WPATH, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health? No. 
Yeah, it's a phenomenal organization. Um, they're WPATH.org on the internet. Um, they really lead the way for standards and protocols. Most of the standards and protocols, you know, it's a um, right, you know, it's sort of that that group health concept, right? The same as we have the Ameri- you know, the uh, American cardiology organizations that you know that set cardiology protocols or you know the mm-hmm. APA and others that set psychiatry protocols and psychology protocols WPATH um, is a phenomenally um, resource rich organization um, they have conferences uh, you know usually east coast west coast conferences every year lots of education lots of standards and protocols that are available um, I'm going to write that down. Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's really great. Um, and it's just, you know, uh, their protocols are, their protocols in education tend to set the, you know, set the conversation for everybody else as, you know, as the standard. And mm-hmm. then, you know, there's, I'm, I'm sure there's deviations from that depending upon what organizations find better or, or otherwise. But um, that's something that, uh, in my practice, we find that, you know, if we find people who are like, well, I'd be interested, but I can't, don't, don't know anything. We usually sure. send them, you know, send them yeah. a W path, you know, or, you know, just email them their, you know, their protocol document as, you know, as a place to start. Um, okay. that's, you know, that's beneficial as well. Yeah. I'll make sure I, I, like I said, I wrote that down. So I'm going to make sure and pass that along because we just had the one copy of right, right, like yeah. the protocol that she gave us and we took it right to the mental the community mental health center there so they could help others and yeah no that's great and you know and absolutely you start you know you start where you have to start um one thing i i also wanted to mention when we got to the endocrinologist they did tell us because i asked um <laughs> not that a lot of transgender people change their mind i asked about reversal yeah. What if Cami goes through all this change and then meets someone and says, wait, I want to change her mind and go back to male. She said, well, actually, they're pretty lucky because all we have to do is stop the hormones and things should return. Now, if testosterone is too low, we can give a little supplemental testosterone. Yeah. The females, the females who have transitioned to males are not as lucky, she said. Once you start growing facial hair, once your vocal cords change, they can never completely go back. Not and she and the endocrinologist told me it's not often that people change their minds. It's very rare. Once they get to the point they want to start hormones, they don't usually change their minds. However, this is what they should know. And that's also one of the things, you know, too, is, uh, you know, and there's some different, there's some different philosophies about um, what might or might not be needed to, you know, to um, change the hormone course, uh, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, you're right. A lot, the majority of people don't, don't tend mm-hmm. to change. Um, and your daughter was older. You said she was. She was 21, 22. Yeah, she's finishing up college. Up yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, for younger patients, uh, you know, we do, and it's controversial. There's, there's a pro there's pros and cons, but there's, there's also the option of hormone blocking, 
mm-hmm. right? Because I mean, the the challenge is is really when somebody's going back on hormones. Um, you know, I mean, they're they're essentially entering entering puberty again. Yeah. Um, and I find myself talking to a lot of uh, the trans patients that I work with. You know that their their mood and other things that they're working on regulating. Um, obviously they have to also be consistent with their hormone treatments, mm-hmm. right? So if they're having a hard time staying on their hormones or, you know, either choosing to, uh, you know, right. Maybe not choosing because the injections are uncomfortable or sure. because they don't have access or they don't have support or, you know, any number of other things. I mean, that, that becomes a hormonal roller coaster on top of a hormonal roller coaster. And well, and I got impacts mental health too. A simple thing the endocrinologist taught me with my thyroid medicine, get one of those pill keepers <laughs> and put them in the pill keeper. So you'd know that right. you took your thyroid medicine because Cami would forget she didn't have a great sleep schedule, mm-hmm. forget she'd already taken it and then take another. And then she'd be hot, flashing, sweating. I mean, it was like the women in menopause I'd worked with at work, you know, <laughs> drenched in sweat, hot yeah. flash. So that's another tip. Put them in a pill box. So, you know, you just take them once a day. You don't take them twice because you couldn't remember yeah. if you'd taken them or not. And that's, of course, assuming, right. You know, I mean, access is is the other piece of it, right? The, yeah. you know, the financial ability, the access to the doctors, the access to the pharmacy. Yes. You know, they, but if you, if you jump all those hurdles, then it's, you know, yeah. it's up to us to educate people. And even if we're not responsible for the protocol itself, but to educate and inform and, you know, mm-hmm make having just simply having that acknowledgement that um, the irregularity of hormonal changes mm-hmm. are impacting mood. Yes. Right. You know, and that's, that's for all of us and on any given day mm-hmm. um, now you have a, you know, a, a person who's transgender who is, you know, potentially going through a second puberty depending upon their timing as to when they're taking their hormones. Right. But, you know, unless they're taking it at the same time that they're, they were starting, but somebody in their twenties is essentially going through puberty again, and they're going to have those hormonal imbalances, those mood swings, Mm -hmm. you know, irregularity on top of it. You know, I mean, those are all tough, you know, tough challenges for, you know, for a patient. Sure. Um, You know, and I think we, we had originally talked to Cami and asked her if she wanted to join. And for a variety of reasons, I understand her not wanting to be here. And that's, you know, Mm -hmm. I appreciate her taking, taking that invitation into consideration. So I don't want to, I don't want to talk so much about Cami's experience, but let's talk about your experience as a mental health professional, as well as a mom. Mm -hmm. Um, What were, what sort of insights would you share with other psychiatric mental health nurses about your insights as a mom um, for a a child who's identified as transgender and is going through that journey? I would make sure they knew that they're going to have a whole lot of emotions about it. Um, First, I grieved the loss of a son. Mm -hmm. Then I... Then I wondered, I had a lot of anxiety about what the future would hold for Mm -hmm. her. I also had just 
um, lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. So I had, I grieved, I had a lot of fear. Then I was depressed because I felt like, did I do something wrong? Did I cause this? Is there something? Because as a nurse, I was very careful who I let around my kids. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, oh my gosh, did someone molest my child? Did someone hurt them? Did someone induce this? Because I didn't understand completely where it came from. Mm -hmm. So I think as a, a parent, those are probably all normal emotions to go through. Other parents of transgender kids that I talked to kind of all thought the same things. Yeah. Now I realize that it, it wasn't because she was molested or hurt unless that happened. And I still don't know about it. Um, it was just because that's something underlying that she'd actually had thoughts of back in middle school. Um, she mentioned to me. Uh, um not until now, not until recently, don't, she told all, when she, when she was living as a boy, told all of her middle school boyfriends, don't you wish you had long hair and boobs? Wouldn't that be fun? And they were like, no. (laughs) 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 She she realized maybe these weren't normal thoughts. Maybe these aren't (laughs) what everybody thought. Well, it's, and it's what we were saying before, right? Yeah. You know, children don't know that something's not right until they're they're told it's not right. Yeah. Right. So, right the whole stove is hot kind of you know kind of thing and Mm -hmm. so if we're going to instill these negative thoughts about self self self-image gender gender identity etc then you know right they 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 came from elsewhere yeah 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 Yeah. well and um but i uh, so hard i have so many thoughts in my head sure um you know, I tried to raise them to go to church. And so then there was this whole thing of, and, and we're, we were Methodists and they were pretty open-minded. We're like the liberal, more of the liberal Christians, which except a gay, we have a gay pianist. We had a gay choir director. I mean, we didn't care. We're Methodists. We like the music. We were all, we all got along. <laughs> um, and then Kimmy had said she was an atheist, which I, I, you know, I kind of struggled with that, but then I thought, well, I, I probably would think, because I even had thoughts, I was abused as a child, and I thought, why would God let this happen to me? Is there really a God if they let all these terrible things happen to me? So I'm sure a youth going through transition would think, why did God put me through this? So it, that didn't that didn't seem that far off after I really thought about it. So I think, you know, living in the Bible belt, having all these religious notions, having this fear of the phobias, having the worry I'd done something wrong, um, just uh, just so many emotions. I've read a lot of books. Mm-hmm. I reached out to a, a nurse practitioner that I knew who uh, has a transgender son that's four. Well, she's older now. She's probably seven by now. But her daughter at four years old said, don't call me Jazzy. My name is Chase Adam. Whoa. Four years old. She was that adamant. 
that she's a boy. Now she lives as Chase Adam and a boy. So, um, so gender, got, he. Yeah, he. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, that's okay. I, um, we all have, right. That's okay. I still mess up sometimes. Yeah. No, that happens. And, um, but he lives as a boy. He was so adamant that he was a boy. Mom took her, the child, him to a neurologist, a psychologist, Children's Mercy in Kansas City, and saw these specialists. Mm -hmm. And they basically said, if if he is that adamant, then he then he's a boy and treat him as such. And we'll do hormone blockers when the Mm -hmm. time comes. And um, this mom, I mean, she told me how she grieved it with her. It was a little easier to understand because he'd always acted like a boy always and and still very little at four years old wanted short hair wanted to be a boy wanted trucks with (laughs) cammy it was opposite so it it was a a little different for me but um still we went through all the same processes the the research we're both nurses so we're researching researching reading asking people for help what do i do you know, so we, we went through a lot of similar things. Yeah. Well, there's sort of the magic equation that a lot of, uh, that, that we talk about a lot in the, um, you know, when we're talking to transgender patients, the trans community talks about a lot as well is the, you know, the aspect of insistent, persistent, consistent, mm-hmm. right? These are the three elements, you know, that we're looking at. So whether you're four, 14 or 40, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're insistent, persistent, and consistent about, you know, about your message, your identity, um, you know, the individual that you identify with, then, you know, this is probably all the signs, you know, that are needed. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's, you know, that's very powerful. Um, you know, we talk about insistent, persistent, consistent behaviors, insistent, persistent, consistent thoughts, you know, etc. cetera. Um, and you had mentioned that your daughter has, um, uh, you know, has had a lot of anxiety with this. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm curious as a psychiatric nurse and as a, you know, person working on becoming a psychiatric nurse practitioner, Mm -hmm. have you ever thought um, about how that, you know, her, her anxiety, her um, identity, and, and her, her other thought, you know, her other mental health states have probably changed as a result of her being, uh, mm-hmm. you know, her finally identifying and, you know, and starting mm-hmm. her transition journey. Mm-hmm. I, and I talked to her about this today. Um, I, I think depression mood wise, she is a lot happier. Mm-hmm feels more at ease just in her own skin mm-hmm. the anxiety you i asked her if she thought that this was the cause of her anxiety or if it contributed to it and she said no the anxiety was there before yeah but now it's anxiety is about a uh, a little different things more it's become more social more leaving the house more mm-hmm. instead yeah. of generalized it's a lot more um i think targeted towards leaving the house and people right no that's that's great thank you for sharing that i think you know it's also one of the things um 
you know, there's a big misconception in the behavioral health community that, you know, suicidal patients, depressed patients, et cetera, you know, that we need to focus on that before we focus on somebody transitioning. And the reality yeah, and is, I don't is think so. no, most of the data shows otherwise that if we help these individuals, um, with their transition, you know, if we help the, these patients with their transition, that some of that resolves, if not all of it. That's why I, um, when he, she came home from the counselor and said, this is, you know, I'm ready for hormones. This is what we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. It, the first mention, I was pretty shocked. The second time I was like, okay, then if this is what's making you so depressed, let's fix it. Because I don't want you to live in misery. I don't want you to be unhappy. Right. And it, and I do think it's helped her depression. But like I said, anxiety's still working on that. Which is fine, right? Because, yeah. you know, but the I mean, depression ultimate, is what is a, a lot more dangerous. More debilitating. Dangerous, absolutely, yeah. Because that was my biggest, one of my biggest worries was her being hurt by someone else or her just giving up on life. Because I've seen both. Yeah. Yeah, oh, completely understandable. And I'd rather, and everyone's like, oh, my conservative friends, how can you do that? How can you call a a boy a girl? And how can you call Brett Cammy? And I, yeah, I said, you know what? I'd rather call my child Cammy and a girl than bury her. Mm. That's my worst fear. I'd rather go through that than come home and find her not alive, find her not here anymore. Right. So think of it that way. When you think it's hard for me, mm-hmm. it's not that hard. It was hard, but now it's not. The, after you get over the initial shock, you get educated, you grieve. I mean, it, it takes a while. It's a process. Mm-hmm. But now I'm okay. He's, she's okay. We're okay. Brother's okay. Dad's okay. Stepdad's okay. You know, it. I'm not saying it was easy at first, but it was a process and we got through it and everybody's good now. So you have a daughter that was, you know, assigned male at birth. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I love though that version of, of the lexicon. Mm-hmm. The lexicon in, in the, you know, in the LGBT community as a whole, but certainly in the trans community, the, the lexicon is constantly changing, you know, as we, as we, experience it as we see it it's somewhat regionalized as well there's some regional colloquialisms but you know in the healthcare community we used to say male to female female to male um uh you know now we spend a lot more time talking about um you know assigned female at birth afab assigned male at birth amab uh because it's you know it's it in my head, as a you know, as a psychiatrist, you know, as as a, as a psychiatric nurse practitioner, I look at this and I say, you know, I like this better because yeah. what we're really saying mm-hmm. is we're saying that you know, it was an assignment made mm-hmm. that just doesn't match the individual. Yeah. Instead of saying that we are moving this person from male to female, we are changing them to the, what they've what they identify as, and they just happen to be assigned another way at birth and. You know, and we mm-hmm. base and we base that off of essentially the parts they came out of the womb with, and sure, you know, sure. and, and and nothing more. 
um, again, we go back to, you know, you don't know what's wrong unless you're told it's wrong. So there's, yeah. you know, right. I have a penis, therefore I'm a man. We're, we're starting to learn that maybe that's not necessarily always the case. And, um, you know, I think we'll, we're, we're going to continue, uh, you know, as, as a healthcare community, we'll continue to learn and grow and, you know, better understand these people, you know, their, excuse me, yeah. community. Well, um, and, you know, being in the position I've been in and through what I've been through now, I'm able to be a big advocate for the transgender kids and young adults that I've taken care of on the behavioral health unit, because like I said, we're in the Bible belt. Some of the other nurses don't agree with it. They don't get it. They um, almost refuse to go along. I mean, they have to because it's their job, but they make snide comments or do something. And I'm always the one reminding them, you know, it's harmful to them. You are harming them. Right. We're not supposed to, we, we're supposed to do no harm and you are actually harming them. You need to stop. Mm-hmm. They can take, hear you. We shouldn't take our bias to, to work with us. We no. should be open. We should be accepting. Absolutely. So maybe it's making me a better advocate for those who need advocating for. Well, if it makes you feel any better, it shouldn't. But if it makes you feel any better, <laughs> um, it's not just the Bible Belt where, where this occurs. There's, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I live in a fairly liberal part of this country and I see it. Um, and so that's, you know, it's a challenge I think that we we face across many spectrums. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we this is just an area that that our society has, has yet to effectively evolve in. And um, I was talking with Cammie today about, you know, in the 60s, it was the civil rights were black and white Mm -hmm. and then it moved to gay and straight. And now the big thing is transgender. Hopefully in 20 more years, it'll be something else. And Cammie laughed and said, yeah, it's the gamers now. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I like, I like your daughter's sense of humor. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's unfortunate that we're still fighting the black and white. We're still fighting the gay and straight and we're still fighting the trans gender, but, but there's at least admittedly, there's been a little bit of movement and, you know, different levels of movement and, you know, in each of those, those categories, but certainly it's still. They're still still there, but maybe they're getting better slowly. Yeah, we have some people, right? We certainly have some people who are more open-minded to it than it was 20 years ago and, you know, 20 years before that and 20 years before that, certainly. I think with each generation, we get better to to an extent. Um, you had said there was a few things that uh, Cami wanted to make sure that you shared. Have we covered everything that that uh, Cami asked for or there's stuff still that on that list? There's a couple things. Okay. Um She wanted me to mention. Oh, where is it? Sorry, there's quite a few. Uh, oh, it's texting. fine. You're texting with your daughter. Shocker. No, I'm so happy. <laughs> okay. Um, she said the really obvious stuff pronouns that are being mistreated. And she said, in general, not the medical sense is the primary contributing factor to the overall 
poor mental health of the trans community, up to and including our rates of suicide attempts. Yeah. You don't have to have dysphoria to be trans or non-binary. Being trans itself is not a mental illness. Um, so basically being called he instead of she is yeah. very uh, well, har- very harmful to them. Yeah, let's talk about a couple of those. I think pronouning is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Um, right, you know, acknowledging um, acknowledging people's pronouns. Uh, you know, the the White House website now mm-hmm. um, actually, if it's a contact form, a contact the White House asks pronouns. Uh, quite a quite a big yeah. difference than it was, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. only a short period of time ago, but. Um, yeah, pronouns are, are important. And, you know, in our profession, we have, we have some challenges, pronouns and, and name, right? Because we still, yeah. you know, we have people who, um, who are, you know, who identify as part of the trans community, um, and legally have not yet had their, uh, their name changed. Right. So we have to remember what their, um, what their name is, not use their dead name, which, and their dead name might be on their driver's license. On on medical insurance. Yeah. Yeah. The way Cammy's is, it still has to be under the birth name. Right. And that's a challenge, um, you know, until those names get legally changed and it's a, a a stressor creating Mm -hmm. anxiety, like what, what Shelly is going through. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's up to us as mental health professionals to, to find ways not to cause more of that. Um, And it can be, it's a very easy thing to do because, uh, depending upon the EHR that you're using, that that their legal name may still be showing at the header while you're looking at them. You and know, then down we'll, down a ways, oh, they like to be called right, right. She uh, and Cammy, but up at the top, it's legal name, and yeah. and we don't always have time to read through the chart. The charting where I did my practicum in Springfield was actually really good. It would have legal name, and then in like all caps. What what whatever you like to be called, even Perfect. mine would be Shelly, right. and then in parentheses it said she, her, hers. Yeah, yeah. So I wish all EHRs did that because I made it very it was right up top, and it was all capitals and. And there are some EHRs that allow for that, and others that do not. Yeah. Um, I've you know, and I've worked with with both of those. Um, you know, mm-hmm. there one that is common for our profession. Um, did a okay job. Um, there was a nickname field that you could fill mm-hmm. in and I would yeah. typically put in, you know, the person's um, identified name and their pronouns in that nickname field. And mm-hmm. what was nice is, is that the legal documents, the prescriptions and everything spit out with um, the, you know, the legal name, everything else spit out with the nickname, which was very nice and clean. It was mm-hmm. always on the screen in front of me. Um, yes. The EHR that I currently work in, doesn't do that. And I find, especially now that we're doing so much more uh, virtual stuff that I've got, you know, I've got them on a screen in front of me, the EHR on a screen in front of me. And I'm, you know, sometimes I'm looking at the EHR and just reflexively say something. And so now um, I do, I do, I don't put white out on my computer screen because that just doesn't work, but you know, I grab a post, right. I grab a post-it note and I stick, you know, I just cover up the name Mm-hmm. Um, with, you know, with the proper name, just because I don't want to have that reflexive, um, 
uh, you know, situation. Um, we also face challenges with, with kids. I'm sure you've seen this too. Mm -hmm. We face challenges with kids. Um, I have a 12 year old who identifies as Mm non-binary, um, uses a different name, but in front of the parents wants us to continue to use their, you know, their legal given name and, Mm -hmm. and, and birth gender. So, um, we have parents that they'll be inpatient and they do not accept mm -hmm. the transgender diagnosis. They said they are too young for that. Yeah. And so we're calling them one thing, and then the parents call and ask for Abby. And I'm like, I don't have anybody named Abby on this floor. <laughs> oh, oh, yes, oh, right, come right. on. Okay, right. okay, yeah. okay. So we're all six kinds of confused. Yeah. Um, and it's up to us to do better with that, um, yeah. you know, and find find solutions that, you know, that work, certainly. Uh, yes. Not always easy, but, but it's, you know, it's important. Um, and you, you actually, you made a statement there. You said, um, you know, transgender diagnosis. And of course that's, you know, it's not in and of itself a diagnosis, but, you know, but you had mentioned that um, Cammy very smartly says you don't need gender dysphoria, which tends Mm -hmm. to be the diagnosis that we use. Yeah, Um, that is it. Yeah. Right. But we, but you don't have to have dysphoria Mm -hmm. and be transgender. And um, I have heard that from many trans Mm -hmm. clients. Um, I don't know how that works as far as when they want you to have your psyche valve to get hormones do they have to give you a diagnosis well if you want hormones is what i'm wondering and that's and well and that's and that's the catch right that there's you know and that's why things are changing with the icd-11 um mm-hmm. you know that'll be coming out uh and eventually the ic you know the dsm-6 right because mm-hmm. so we've we've moved we've moved the concept in in medical timeline we've moved it fairly quickly mm-hmm. um still ridiculously slow, but since the world of medicine tends to move slow, um, you know, but we've, we've taken it further and further away from it being a mental illness. Yes. And And I I don't think of it as mental illness. I think it caused her depression. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think it, that she's mentally ill that way. I, I I think, you know, and that's a deeper conversation. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely a deeper conversation than we can have in just one podcast. And yeah. know, perhaps it's a show in and of itself. But I think the important thing for us as professionals to understand is that um, gender dysphoria does not need to exist for a patient in order for them to be transgender. Yeah. Um, what is needed for somebody to start on hormones and what is needed for somebody um, to be surgical, um, mm-hmm. you know, so, so to medic, you know, right. So there's, there's different aspects here. We have, you know, you do not need gender dysphoria, um, to socially transition in some areas and some jurisdictions, you don't need any diagnosis, um, other than informed consent to start hormone therapy. So it's also based on the philosophies of the practice. It's based on, in some States, um, let, you know, state based rules, Mm-hmm. medical guidelines, probably legislation in some places. It's not my area of expertise, but I know yeah, that in some places that I have worked, it's, you know, all you need is for somebody to walk in the door and say, I want to start hormones. And there's mm-hmm. a conversation of informed consent, no need for letters, no need for evaluation. Oh, wow. This is what yeah. I want. Right. Yeah. And then in other places there's, you know, there's more, more intrepidation, more, more hesitation. So it really just depends upon where you are. And I think it goes back again for us as practitioners, insistent, persistent, consistent, 
Mm -hmm. And we take it from there, from there. And we decide, you know, we need to be aware of what the rules, regs, and standards are in our community Mm -hmm. um, and help foster that, Uh, you know, but, but yes, Cammy, I, you know, hopefully Cammy will at some point listen to this and I appreciate her bringing up that, you know, the, the gender dysphoria Mm -hmm. is not, is not a requisite for, you know, for being part, you know, for identifying as transgender and, and starting that journey Mm -hmm. Um, because there are many people out there. Um, I had uh, a client once say to me, I don't have gender dysphoria. I have gender euphoria. Yeah. Um, And (laughs) because I, when we were talking about hormones, I looked up the gender dysphoria diagnosis mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. the DSM-5, and I didn't think Cammy met it. Yeah. When I questioned yeah. her, she didn't really meet it. So that's why I was like, well, uh, but uh, I didn't understand. Like I said, it was yeah. three years ago. I had less education, less knowledge. It, well, it's still, yeah. and, and she still doesn't meet it, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know? Um, right. Yeah. And, you know, we're the mental health community just needs to, needs to accept that, you know, that, that, you know, mm-hmm. and while it might be needed air quotes, can't see it on the podcast. While it might be needed in order to start a medical journey, while it might be needed in order to insurance bill, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and things like that. Um, you know, that's just extremely unfortunate. And I think we need to do better. And if anybody in our sure. audience has other ideas, um, please share them with us and we'll, you know, we'll make sure it gets on the air. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Another thing Cammy brought up was the bathrooms. I could so imagine. Have to think about going to the men's room mm-hmm. and that's when she would be the most at risk probably for being attacked. In all honesty, because there's no, you know, nobody in there, no witnesses. If there's a transphobic person there that has a mean streak, they could, I mean, she'd be at their mercy. Yeah. Very, yeah, yeah. I, that might be contributing to her social anxiety. <laughs> Just a you little know? bit. I'm yeah. scared I'll have to go to the bathroom when I'm at Walmart. Which, again, I hear from all of our, you know, all of my trans yeah. patients, you know, walking down the street is, you know, somebody made a wise comment to me once, uh, a patient of mine, you know, said that, um, you know, a transgender person has anxiety probably qualifies as, you know, a social anxiety or uh, generalized anxiety disorder mm-hmm. because, you know, and if you look at these diagnoses, some of it is, you know, do you, do you fear for your, your safety? Do you fear for your wellness more often than, than not? Yeah. And the reality is that that is probably in many cases, most trans people, right? If you're right. going to fear, you know, if you're going to fear, I need to go to the bathroom. If you're going to be, I don't go to the bathroom at work because I'm fearful or, mm-hmm. you know, any of these other kinds of things. I mean, that that's, you know, I mean, it's all forms of, of unfortunate, but, mm-hmm. but to, um, you, you know, those are more validating diagnoses than to say that you're, you know, because of that, you have dysphoria. Um, yeah, absolutely. And that's a challenge. Um, and hopefully we'll, you know, we'll continue to get better, you know, get better with all of that. And I think you bring up an interesting point. So those of us that are practicing, we need to take into consideration is our, you know, is our clinic 
um, welcoming? Is our intake paperwork welcoming? Uh, you know, it did. Are do we have intake paper that um, has check boxes for you know, Mister, Ms., Doctor, etc.? Mm -hmm. You know, or do we just have a blank space for pronoun? Do we have a blank yeah. space for uh, for gender? Um, mm -hmm. You know, do we still do we still ask antiquated questions about like do we say sex, male, mm -hmm. female? Um, you know, and that's in our intake paperwork. Are you know, are our bathrooms unisex? Or, you know, are they unisex yeah. bathrooms? Are they you know, single seat bathrooms? Like, what is it that we're doing in order to, you know, to make our climate more welcoming? So many different things. Um, well, I want to thank you for you know for sharing your experience um, huh. and you know and some of your insight. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, and I wish you luck with. Uh, with your journey um, and, and finishing up your, your psychiatric nurse practitioner, I think you're going to be a huge asset uh, to, to our patients out there. Thank you, Ed. Well, that's it for this episode of Psych and PCAST. We'll see you in our next episode. Don't forget to tell your friends and in whatever podcast system you're in, don't forget to rate us. That helps us get found by other Psych NPs. We'll see you next time.